He's an artist with a 20-year music career with more than 30 recording projects, was a key player in the early days of the band Cademan's Call. He's been incredibly prolific as a solo artist over the last 10 years, and he joined me today to talk about his new album coming out next week called I Was Wrong, I'm Sorry, and I Love You. Singer-songwriter Derek Webb is a pioneer in today's music economy, inspiring independent artists of all kinds, and that's the feature segment for today in the CMB Podcast, session number 26. Welcome to the CMB Podcast, a podcast designed to serve people of faith who make music. If you're looking for practical and inspirational ideas to help you in your musical craft, then look no further. ChristianMusicBlog.com is all about helping you think differently about creativity through eyes of faith as you learn how to establish healthy musical habits and disciplines, fueling your creativity and making you more prolific for the glory of God. And now your host, Nate Fancher. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Nate Fancher on the 26th session of the CMB podcast, the Christian Music Blog podcast. This podcast is all about serving artists and songwriters in their journey of music making through eyes of faith. I read a book by a guy named Harold Best called Music Through the Eyes of Faith. And as a singer and songwriter myself, I I realized that the things he talks about in his book are things that need to be discussed by us musical folk. These are important conversations that people of faith who make music should be having. Conversations um, about theology in music, um, the theological implications of music, what the Bible says about music making, philosophical stuff, as well as methodological and practical stuff. We, we face a lot of different things as musicians and artists. And so if you're a believer in Jesus and you are musical, then I invite you to join us. Obviously, there's no way we could cover all these things in one podcast episode, so that's why this is an ongoing conversation with, with no plan to stop anytime soon. Um, we have much to talk about. So dive in with us as we learn about music and music making through eyes of faith. And if you're new with us, perhaps this is your first time listening to this podcast, I, I ask that you stick with me through this episode, and at the end, I want to tell you about a gift that I only mentioned right here on the podcast. I'll let you know all about that at the end here today. So I'm thrilled to have Derek Webb on the show today. Derek, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, has been an inspiration to a lot of people. Certainly in his years with Cademan's Call, he left an impact on the church, and since his time with them, with now eight solo records under his belt, he's been a leader and influencer for independent artists, not only with his involvement with the popular online music movement, Noise Trade, but just in his example of -of out-of-the-box creativity as an independent artist himself. Um, You know, he released uh, She Must and Shall Go Free in 2003. We actually talk about this in our interview. But that was his first solo album. And he actually uh, did a national tour right after that where he played in living rooms. So he did a house show tour. And so here's a guy who's doing house gigs before it's popular. You know, right now everyone talks about doing house shows. And um, so this this would have been around 2004. He actually released a live album of it called The House Show, I believe. And um, yeah, so he he's doing house shows before it's popular. But but that album, She Must and Shall Go Free, was was an album that really rocked the boat, especially in CCM circles. Um, some retailers actually refused to stock it because it said they said that it had strong language. And uh, they were referring to um, the song Wedding Dress. Uh, if you know that song, there's a line in it where he, where he says, I am a whore, I do confess. I put you on just like a wedding dress and run down the aisle. 
and he, you know he's talking about he's talking about idolatry. He's talking about how Christians um, that seek satisfaction and identity and fulfillment in other things outside of Christ is spiritual adultery. And and the song is an honest song about that. And um, it's actually a very powerful song. Another one, um, Saint and Sinner on that on that same album. Um, he actually uh, had had actually had the word damned in it. And um, I believe the final version of the album, it was he was asked to remove it. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of things that went down on, on his first attempt to be a solo artist. And um, since then, it's just been a wild ride for him. And um, he's been misunderstood, I believe, along the way. And so his new album, the one that we talk about today, um, I Was Wrong, I'm Sorry, and I Love You, he really, he goes into, in our conversation, uh, that, that this is really a follow-up to that first album. And so he, it's a confessional album, he says. He's, in, he's being very honest on it. And um, I, I think it's, it's awesome. I think it's going to do very well. So, you know, whether or not you agree with everything he says, that, that's not the point. The, the point is that Derek Webb cannot be ignored if you are a Christian musician, an artist, um, especially these days seeking to pursue an independent career in your music. Um, Derek Webb is a guy that you need to pay attention to. Um, he can't be ignored. The issues uh, that he raises in his music and the questions he asks should be discussed. So now in this episode, I'm not going to even go into all those things. Um, in fact, at the end of my call with Derek, we actually, off the record, we talked about lining up another interview to talk about noise trade, uh, the future of the music industry, um, Christian, quote unquote, Christian music. And uh, so we, we, we want to have a more open dialogue about those things. But for now, I'm excited to help promote his new album, I Was Wrong, I'm Sorry, and I Love You. And, and so we discussed the heart behind that and a behind-the-scenes look into the making of the album. I, m- I must say this before we dive in. I totally embarrassed myself. I botched a line in his song. I'm, I, was, I was really kicking myself afterwards. My math got a little off. Uh, we were talking about his first verse um, in the title track. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I love you. Um, I, I think I said seven years or something. Seven years since he stood outside the church. Uh, the line is actually, it's been 10 years since I stood outside the church. Uh, Derek, you know, he was so gracious about it. He just let it go and uh, was very awesome. But anyway, you know, I say that to say this. Your host is a normal down-to-earth dude who isn't all that great at math especially when he's interviewing Derek Webb, uh, you know, and a little bit nervous or whatever. So anyway, you'll actually hear a clip from that song in the beginning here with, with that line um, specifically. So let's get to it. Here's my chat with Derek Webb on the CMB podcast, session number 26. It's been one year 
Today to be with Derek Webb. Derek, thanks so much for being on the podcast, man. It's a pleasure. Um, I would love to start with your story as a musician. I think you started playing the guitar around like six years old or something, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, earliest memories of doing anything um, were playing music, and which was mostly, um, at, you know, a result of not even by six, five, six years old. Um, feeling like I, none of the things that were, that were being, um, valued or measured at that age, things like academics and sports and social kind of situations. I wasn't good at any of that. Mm -hmm. I was terrible at all those things. And, um, music was just like the first thing that I found that it just came really easy to me. It was just something I could finally, something I could do. And I just, I feel like I just like grabbed a hold of it and held so tightly to it. Cause it was just, and for, and still, you know, to a large extent, it's just like the one thing I feel like is just easy. I'm just, it's part of how I'm, you know, kind of wired. And, um, so I, yeah, I started really young and, 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 and had no season where I wasn't doing it. I mean, mm-hmm. even times where I, I went through, trying other things, but I mean, I, music's always been there. Yeah. Yeah. And now what's your story as far as your upbringing and stuff? I'm, I'm not even familiar with that as far as how you came to faith in Christ and, and where that connects with your music making and all of that. Um, so, I mean, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee and, um, so in the South and so Christianity was very much a part of the cultural kind of framework and fabric and, my parents, I have one brother who's older than me, and, my, and, and our parents brought us up going to church. My dad was raised Catholic, and my mom was raised Methodist, and so they took us to a Baptist church. That seemed like some kind of compromise for everybody, something that no <laughs> one would be happy with. Um, and so um, so or rather, I'm, I'm sorry, my mom grew up Baptist and my dad Catholic, and so we grew up Methodist. That's, that's what it was. I did wind up doing a brief stint in the Baptist church as well. But, um, but uh, so I, I was brought up with the language. I was brought up with the ideas. It seemed very much like part of my general reality, um, part of the general reality of life that I was, that I was being kind of brought up in. And but it wasn't really until so I was confirmed in the Methodist Church at thirteen, and um, you know, um, but didn't feel especially connected to any of that. I don't think I, I I understood the language, I accepted it as part of the framework of reality a little bit at the time. But it, I, I can't say that it meant a lot to me um, at that point. It, I, it wasn't it was like formative for me or something in my personality. 
it wasn't really until high school um, I um, I was involved with Young Life, and but I wasn't really involved with Young Life. I I, I went to um, my brother who's older than me was like it was a real pioneer into everything, and I followed him into everything. He became a Christian early on, and he was really involved with Young Life, and so and he really wanted me to be, and, and um, so what would happen is but I was also in bands all growing up. I started playing in bands um, from just the earliest. And I was always in bands with guys older than me because I started playing music so early that the kids my age were frustrating for me to have to deal with because they weren't as serious as I was wishing to be at the time, you know, about music. I really wanted to be in a serious band. I wanted to really play what, you know, really play well and and really work hard and and play gigs. I mean, I really wanted that. Hmm. And, And, None of my friends were like, they just didn't, they weren't serious about it because they were good at other things. You know, they had other places to distribute their, their general energy about what they were, you know, investing in at that point. And for me, it was all concentrated on music. So I was serious. So I always wound up in bands with older guys and mostly guys I probably shouldn't have been hanging out with. And so, um, and getting into social situations I probably shouldn't have been in at that age. So I would tell my mom that I was going to Young Life and and she would drop me off and then the guys in the band would pick me up and we'd go rehearse for like two hours and then they would drop me back off and I would go home and my mom and so I literally for a whole year I went to Young Life but really I was um band practicing and hanging around with those guys and she would ask me and the thing is I mean they trained me to do it because I grew up in the church they'd ask me what did you guys talk about this week you know and I would make up some oh about you know, Jonah and the thing, I mean, I, I knew <laughs> stories, I knew enough to, you know, be dangerous. And, yeah. Um, yeah. but then a, a band I was in broke up for a summer around a very dramatic car accident and all this other stuff. It's a whole other story where I almost went through a windshield. And, um, so I did, had nothing to do over a summer and I had a crush on a girl. It all went together to get me to Frontier Ranch, which is Young Life property. And, um, and that's where I, I'm kicking and screaming like most things in my spiritual life. I found myself, you know, really believing, um, what I was hearing and, and, uh, it kind of getting somewhere that I had not anticipated and came home really changed from that. Mm. And, and so that was really the, 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 that was the first kind of part of my, my own kind of spiritual kind of journey was like between sophomore, junior year and high school. And then I actually did get involved with young life and, and stayed involved for, for, for years and, and worked at all those properties. And, and so that was a real, and, you know, and, and it's not an ideal situation cause it's not a church. Um, you know, parachurch organizations are at best, the church's unpaid bills, you know? And so there, there wasn't really a place for me, to connect to a bigger story, but it was a good thing for me for that time. Yeah. And I, and I eventually wound up finding my way into, into, you know, into church, into capital C. Um, but so that's kind of how I got started. You know, that was the beginnings of my journey. Yeah. And I know that for you, um, obviously Caven's call wasn't long after that. And that was, mm-hmm. um, that made such an impact on so many in the church um, and I'd love to just go ahead and fast forward right to today where um, 
well, at the time of this podcast being published, your your album will be coming out on uh, the third, I think September third. This September this 3rd. is going to be August thirtieth when this is actually going live. But so in a few days, your album is going out, and um, already it's you've got a lot of good noise and a lot of good feedback and a lot of um, um, buzz about it. And you know, just listening to that title track that you first put out on your site, I was wrong. I'm sorry, and I love you. Um, you go over in that first verse just your music career and kind of how that, um, you know, all, all that you were, all, all that was going on then. And I'd love to actually focus on that transition in 2003 between Caveman's Call and um, and you going solo. And I know you, you continue to do some stuff with them, but, um, you know, there's that line in your song, it's been seven years. Is it seven? <laughs> My math is bad. I think that's probably right. <laughs> seven years since you stood outside the church. And on the front cover of that of your full, your your solo debut record, you're standing outside of a church building, and um, I just think it's brilliant. And I'd love to talk about um, just what was going on inside you. And I mean, I think it's certainly clear that your faith has played a massive role in your music making and has continued to do so, and and probably even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, would love to go back to that, even that one line: seven years since you stood outside the church, and and kind of how far you've come up to this new album. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's actually 10 years. Um, oh yeah, that's right. But, uh, Thank but you. There's, there, but there's a lot, there's a lot of math in that first <laughs> verse. So don't feel well, bad. 2003, 2000, yeah, even for me, you know, I, I, you know, it's hard for me to keep, keep it straight. Cause it's the first line is it's been 20 years since something happened. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's been a long time. I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean the, um, the transition, you, you know, so I spent, you know, those 10 years in Cademans and during that time, um, was exposed to a lot of things and, and we made our living mostly in church culture and in church kind of circles. And we didn't play in a ton of churches. We mostly played in a lot of colleges and we, and we played a fair amount of just kind of neutral venues and we, in clubs and places like that. But we did play a lot, you know, some churches and, and that was certainly where a lot of our success was concentrated was in church culture. And by the end of it, I just felt like, I was left with a lot of questions um, because again, with my formative years spiritually being in more of a parachurch situation, I was left with a lot of questions about like, what is the role of the church? And do I, do, do I have a role in it necessarily? And, and, and does it have a role in culture and what are those roles and how does that work? And um, it was really the first time um, that I'd asked a lot of those kind of questions and so I feel like my first record, the contents of which, the songs, I felt like were Cademan songs. Like I didn't know I wasn't writing songs for the next Cademan's record. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out I was writing my first record. And, and there's a, a culmination of things that all happened during that time to make that count was one of those things was I was getting married. And marriage you know, tends to redefine every relationship you're in. Um, and so I was kind of taking an account of where my time was being spent and was that really the best use of my time? And, um, so that was kind of changing some things and, um, it was also empowering me to some extent to write a different, to write songs, to write a different kind of songs. I mean, I I didn't even really know it was happening at the time, but, um, there's just something about the support that I felt very early in my marriage that made me, gave me a little courage to kind of, 
bite down a little harder on the hand that that was you know feeding us at the time and um because i just had a lot of questions and i and i'd seen a lot of things that were hard for me to make sense of um during all those years really kind of seeing how the sausage is made mm-hmm. um in christian culture and christian products and all that stuff um so i had all these questions and my first record was really just the questions it was just it was like the result of all those questions and um it just felt like the uh you know, the, those songs were, the stakes got kind of high with those songs um, in terms of the content, and it felt like some risk-taking going on. And Cademan's, the, you, know, my, you know, so we'd been family for 10 years and had done this thing for 10 years together, and um, they, they could sense that the songs were important. They, didn't, they did not want me singing them, but they were a little protective of me singing them on their on on stage, all of us together in that context, calling it Cademans, and which I actually even then I really understood because Cademans had one thing that they had built and a particular thing they'd been called to, and I felt like I was sensing the receiving of coordinates that was a different call than that, maybe my own call for me personally of something else that I might do, which was very surprising. I never imagined being a solo artist. I never imagined making a living outside of being in a collaborative situation like like that. I thought I'd be in Cademans for the rest of my career, the rest of my life. And so it was a real surprise. I was reluctant to do it. Hmm. But I felt like it was important to do. The songs kind of dictated to me that it, that it was important. And so that's a lot of how that transition happened. It didn't feel like we were breaking something apart so much as it felt like um, even for them, it felt like them kind of sending me out. It felt like a church plant, you know, it, it, it uh, so, um, but it was a hard transition and I, and I, I'll, you know, it took me a while to even really see past that first album. I didn't know if I had anything more to say. Um, and honestly, I've just kind of taken it a year at a time and here I am 10 years now, like I've spent the, the same amount of time in my solo careers I spent in Cademans prior to it. And it's, you know, um, and it's still just a matter of me looking out for those coordinates um, and figuring out year after year kind of what is there left to say? What do I have to say? Um, and the coordinates keep showing up, thankfully, but you know, I feel very dependent on it and on the process of it. Um, it's not something I feel like I have a, a real plan um, that I'm following so much as I'm just kind of always looking out for the coordinates. You know, that still feels very much like how it, how, how it operates. You know. Mm. And your song, uh, the the title track of the new record, um, can you go into that a little bit more? Because you go over, you know, twenty years, ten years, all the all the all the different lines, and then you get to that 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 hook. All, all over all these years, there's just one thing you're trying to say: I'm, I was wrong. I'm sorry, and I love you. Would love to hear a little bit more behind that heart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so for me, like, so all growing up, I always heard that the three things you had to learn how to say to to anybody in order to keep a relationship going were those three things. You had to learn how to say those three things. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I love you. Mm. And, um, and so as I was, you know, like near the end of the year where I was, and I was, I had, I was, I had put out, I just put out my most kind of, um, abstract and ambitious piece of work, of all my 20 years, this record called Control, 
in this other record under this other moniker called Solo Me that goes with the control record. It was this very high concept, high demand for attention currency kind of project, um, you know, which no wonder kind of hit the market like a rock. You know, I mean, it took me two years to make it and it was this very arduous and challenging and very rewarding kind of creative process and will always be the thing I'm the most proud of in my whole career. But it was, it was, it took a lot for anyone to connect to it. It was a hard thing to kind of understand. And it was, as I said, very kind of high concept. And so coming off of that, coming up into, coming right up to the 10 year anniversary of my first record and taking a little bit of an account, you know, 10 years in where I am, um, you know, being the kind of guy who's never felt the burden, never accepted the burden of having to restate things I've said previously in order to say new things. Um, I just assume that people, um, I just assume that if you don't hear me recant something I've said previously, assume I still believe it and let that be the foundation upon which I am saying new things and more things I'm building on it. But I think, I think the things I've chosen to say or the, the, the things I've maybe chosen not to say during certain seasons of my career, I think have, have caused people to question the, the, the fundamental things that I said early on. And so my first album, having a lot of f- kind of foundational content about spirituality and my views on the church and my views, um, I think people have gotten a little nervous, not sure if I still believed with and agreed with that stuff because they've heard me say things since that they can't really reckon with um that they you know they during different seasons be it seasons of wanting to disrupt my own political ideas and the political ideas of christian culture um ideas about sexuality and christian culture how we love people um there's you know been i mean i'm wired for disruption it's what i do and in everything I do, there's an element of disruption. Even the ancillary businesses that I run and things I'm involved with, there's all element of disruption in all of it. And um, it's just what I'm good at. And so I think as people have seen me engage those various things, um, they've increasingly questioned whether or not they can still, if I'm still the person who they originally resonated with and trusted. And so I think there's been a real lack of, there's, there's been like a decreasing trust between me and my real core people who I really need and depend on and wish to speak to and wish to be in the lives of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, so all that put together coming out of a really challenging season where I feel like I was at the pinnacle of my being misunderstood by my own fans um, and looking at this 10 year anniversary, thinking about that first record, preparing for a tour, which I've since done touring like a 10-year a anniversary tour of the first album where we play, I went out and played the entire album every night, reconnected with some of the songs, some of which I've not played in a lot of years, um, and finding that I still agreed with and was grateful for and could sing every word of all 11 of those songs 10 years later, thinking about the things that in 10 years don't change, being grateful for the things that don't change in 10 years, but also reckoning with the things that do change in 10 years, it got me thinking about if I was making this record, my first record, if I was making it again today, answering those same questions that I mentioned earlier that I had going into that first record, questions about my role in the church, the church's role in culture, what would that record look like 10 years later with all that's changed, with all that I've been through, with all that I've put everyone through, 
Um, how would that record look different? What would what would what would the content be? What would the questions and the criticisms and the the encouragements? Um, what would it all look like? The the confession. How would it be different? And I started to think about that. And before I knew it, I was writing songs because that was just too interesting of an idea for me. And the songs, which is always the thing that the, that's the main coordinate that tells me I'm onto something, is when the songs start to show up. Um, you know, and all, suddenly I had a record's worth of material that was kind of ten years later. And it was like suddenly I'd written a follow-up to my first record, mm-hmm. you know, with six or seven records in between. I'd written the follow-up. And um, so I dropped everything and recorded it. And so for me, it felt like if I'm, this is maybe the most intentional that I've ever been in regards to making a record for the church. My first record was a record for the church, but it wasn't intentional. I just kind of fell into it. Mm. I don't feel like I had a lot of, um, you know, I didn't make, I didn't make a choice there. It just happened that way. And so now, you know, this is maybe the most intentional move I've ever made towards wanting to say something intentionally to these people and, um, and to myself and to my, to my community and to my culture where I live and that I populate. And so it felt like the, what, the best place to start considering who we are. We are diverse members of one body necessarily. So we are not the same. We should not be the same. We're not meant to be the same it would be arguably sinful for us to all reach the same conclusions about how to work, um, how to do spiritual work, how to do, you know, kingdom building work, how to do, you know, we, we're not going to reach the same conclusions, nor should we. Sometimes we're so far around the other side of the one kingdom that we're building that we can't even see each other over there. We don't even, it's hard for us to really believe we're all building the same kingdom. We need a lot of grace in order to do that, in order to give each other the space to, to you know, to live and to be those diverse members of that one body. It just felt like the, even just to model the posture of how we go about this, how we all coexist and do this work, it felt like that was just the right first thing off the bat to say and to be clear about and to say, regardless of what you've heard me say over the last 10 years or even 20 years, regardless of what you've heard me say, some of which I maybe have actually said, some of which you've just heard me say, somebody mm-hmm. told you I said it, I don't know how that works, but let me just clarify and sum it all up and just say that all of it I wish to say from a, from a posture of repentance, confession, and love. You know, like that is really the framework. I hope you can even go back and look at everything I've said and imagine it in that, through that grid. That's really the thing I hope that I've been doing. And if I have, if, if, and if, and if that's not how it's come off to you, then maybe reconsider and at least hear my, hear my apology. So I don't even know who the audience is for that apology. Only the, only the people who receive it that way know that it's for them. Um, but, but if nothing else, I, I, um, I, you know, I, I feel like for me, that's more of a, that's me kind of demonstrating and, um, you know, saying like, if we're going to do this together, not just me, but all of us considering, who we are and what we're up against in terms of our diversity, we're going to have to learn how to say these things to each other. We're going to have to learn how to tell each other that we were wrong and that we're sorry and that we love each other within the church community. And once we can ever even figure out how to do that, if we can, then we need to learn how to say it to everybody else because there are a lot of people in our culture who desperately need to hear this from us um, for whom it would be incredibly restorative and healing from us, from the business end of the church's judgment on a handful of issues to hear from us in ways that are appropriate, 
um, not compromising, but appropriate to say we were wrong and we are sorry and we love you. Yeah. That, you know, like this is what we must learn how to do. These are the bigger fish to fry. And so for me, it just, so I was like, well, that's the title track. It's the first song on the record. That is the framework for the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what it meant. You know, that's what it is for me. Oh, and I love, I think you just put it out on your, on your website, the um, acoustic version of the song Heavy, where you're in a confessional booth. I yes. That's what it is, right? Yep. And uh, yeah, yeah, we found this, this confessional. It was, and it was, we didn't even think about it. And like, hey, well, you know, we should, we were filming like one, one crazy day in Houston, Texas, where we filmed all these videos like a few months ago. Um, and it was, we were going to film heavy. And they're like, hey, look, we're just walking around here. Look at this cool confession booth. Like, let's do one in here. Well, what's next? Well, heavy's next. Let's do that. I didn't even think about the significance. It happened so much in my career. It wasn't until later that it hit me, you know, um, maybe not even until seeing the video. I was like, wow, look how I've squeezed myself into a confessional <laughs> to sing that particular song <laughs> and how prophetic that is for me personally. You know, my music is no more prophetic than for, my, than for me like where months later I will hear a song or see a thing and be like, wow, like I'm so grateful to have to sing that song now because of how that paints me into the corner and provides for me language um, that I, things that I wish to believe that I have to now confess every night when I go sing these songs. Hmm. It's like what the creeds and confessions and responsive readings and liturgy does for me. That's why I love the hymns and the liturgy because it provides for me a language with which to confess things I wish to believe Mm. Not necessarily things that I am currently believing. Um, and my, song, my own songs, it's, I mean, like, it's like, you know, judo being done to me by God. You know, like, I'm stuck with these songs now that I have to sing, things I have to confess. Some of the time I believe, all of the time I wish to believe. Wow. Um, you know, that's how it works. Yeah. And you have, I think you've been quoted, as, quoted saying that this new record is the most confessional, the most autobiographical album you've ever done. Yeah, easily. Yeah. And for that reason, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I, and also because of all the things I said before about the potential loss of trust and the disconnection I feel potentially between me and a lot of the folks whose lives I wish to still be in. I wish not to have them agree with me, but I wish them to at least hear my questions and for all of us to come to our own conclusions about some of those things. It felt like a moment to make an investment in the next decade. It felt like a moment to rebuild some of that trust not to restate things I've said previously, but to at least clarify and for us to have a moment of understanding between each other, it felt like a moment to like confess and to really show up on one of my records. Um, you know, my last record, Control, was written from the perspective of a fictional character and it was, the whole thing was like this, you know, this electro rock opera, you know, I mean, it was this whole other thing and I feel like while it was very personal for me and very, um, you know, I mean, it was like, it, it, it really was, but, um, I don't feel like I showed up on that record for a lot of people. Like they didn't know where, I, where was I on that record? Who was I? Was I that character? Was I something else? Like, where, where am I? And I really wanted to make sure I was showing up on this one. And I really did, um, in a way that I wasn't even really anticipating, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I know a lot of folks are very excited to, to get the whole thing when it comes out. Um, well, I would love to transition maybe a little bit to um, the songwriting process and the recording production side. I mean, you did everything on your own for this new record. Can you kind of go through a typical day? I know it's 
obviously going to vary between projects and whether you're on the road or not, but when you're preparing for an album, what's a typical day look like? Um, well, I mean, it's always changing because, so for us, you know, my wife is a independent artist too. And so we've had a studio, which is where I am now. We've had, I mean, we, we built this studio five or six years ago and this is where we do our work. That's where we make our records. It's where we kind of do all of our stuff. And it's just behind our house. I mean, it's like on our kind of property and, before that we made records in our house. Um, and, and, you know, and I, and I do a lot of ancillary production work and remix work for other artists and do these other projects during the year. And I love that stuff. And I produce it or, you know, um, my wife's records and as well. And we're, our studio is always busy. There's always work happening out here. And, um, this was the first record of mine that I decided I was going to not collaborate. I would with, with usually for all my records, I will collaborate with one other person and, and we will kind of co-bear the burden of the whole project. And this time around, I just thought all things considered, it was time for me to really ha- be completely wrapped up in it and have it be 100% my kind of statement. And, um, and so I, which just causes me to use every tool that I've learned, every trick in my book. And so, yeah, I mean, I would come out here and I mean, I'd, I was writing the songs and um, that was kind of one type of work. I would go and have to focus and write and get it out. And then I would bring the songs here and I would kind of frame them up. Um, I mean, I'm a programmer kind of primarily. So I would, I would do some programming and kind of work around that and then slowly but surely try to bring that into the world of organic instruments and start to kind of play some things and, 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 you know, and just kind of, I would just kind of sit out here. It's, it was solitary work. I mean, I would sit out here like a mad scientist and just play everything I could and just kind of throw things at it and see, um, you know, and, um, but it happened pretty quickly, you know, but it, it was hard work because creatively it's exhausting because you come out and you have to dream up a whole arrangement and melodic structure for every, you know, like you have to do it over and over again. And, without them all, without everything kind of sounding like one thing. And, um, so it was a real challenge, but I mean, I love a challenge, you know, so, um, but, uh, you definitely have to kind of like go one place and work out the one, you know, like the songwriting is one type of creative work and kind of go somewhere and focus on that and then come into the studio and kind of work out a different part of it. And you just, you know, I mean, I, I'm a guy who's comfortable wearing several hats, but like you really have to get, kind of hyper categorized with what your time is and what you're doing with it. And, you know, um, but it was, it was great. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I want to do it again anytime soon like that. I, I like collaborating. Um, I mean, I'm a textbook introvert, but I really like collaborating. So, um, who knows what I'll do next? I mean, I might put a band together and track it all live. It would be the opposite of what I just did. Um, but you know, like when you're doing it like this, there is no demo process. There is no pre-production. There is no, you just come in and the first day of recording, you're making the record immediately. There is no, why would you, why would I make demos? There are no demos. It's like, everything is the record. Um, there is no process before which I'm making and keeping things, which is kind of how we do it now. I haven't made a demo. I don't know what a demo is. You know, like I come out to the studio and record the first bit of an idea and 90, you know, nine times out of 10, that first bit of an idea, whatever it was, winds up on the album. 
um, at least partially. So you gotta, you better like what you're doing because I'm probably gonna wind up keeping it. You know. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. No, that's that's truly like the creative process of an artist for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know many painters who paint demos of their paintings. That's right. I mean, yeah. yeah. So, um, real one one last question because I know sure. you got to get rolling, but you're touring um, after this at some point, I'm sure. Um, I know that on your website there are no tour dates, but I'm sure you're putting that together. Yes, we're working on it now. Um, we're 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 trying to like figure out the best. You know, I like to I like to craft all the different parts of it. I like to, you know, like. I always encourage my friends who are artists and younger artists, you really have to learn how to apply your creativity to every part of the job, um, to every part. Because essentially what you're doing, if you're an artist, if you're a, especially if you're a blue-collar artist or if you're an independent artist, um, you're running a small business. That's what you're doing. And so there are investment seasons. There are seasons where you make a return on that investment. and You, you know your calculator risks that you take. And... You have to learn how to run your business. You have to learn how to make it something sustainable. There's nothing cool or, or romantic or sexy about not being able to sustain your own business. Um, there is something very cool and very hip or whatever about being able to make your own creative choices and, and being beholden to no one, not to a record label, not even to your fans, um, and to be able to trust your own instincts and make the records you want to make and when you want to make them, to be in control of that. Um, and that's, that's all wrapped up in learning how to run a business. And so for me, I love being in every aspect of it. And so even the tours, we like to like learning how to apply the same creativity to this, the distributing and the promoting and the marketing of the records as you spent into the writing and the recording of those records, like learning how to be creative about all of it, learn how to apply your creativity to all of it is an insanely valuable, um, thing. And so you know, we always love to try to even the marketing of the records and the way that we, the month we spend selling it in to the tribe before it even hits the retail and making meaningful connections and generating really meaningful content around the record itself to make the experience more meaningful, to communicate what the record's about with it, with other ancillary experiences and products, and then to learn how to take it on the road in such a way that is consistent with the concept of it and just make it all really interesting and make all of it part of the art where the marketing is part of the art. The tour is part of the art. It's all part of the art for me. And so, you know, um, we're working on the touring now and we're going to announce some touring that'll happen before the end of the year really soon. And we've got some really interesting ideas on even how we're going to structure the ticketing and just everything. We've got some cool ideas of how we're going to do some of that. So that's all going to kind of roll out in the next, hopefully a few weeks. Um, yeah. Exciting, man. Well, I know DerekWeb.com is where folks should be directed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to find everything you need. If you go there, hopefully that'll be the place from which you can go find everything else. Yeah. And you are also on Twitter at Derek Webb, right? Yes, that's right. Yep. Wherever you can go and find people at something, Derek Webb, uh, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where you'll Excellent, find Excellent, man. Well, thank you so much for your time, Derek. Thanks, thanks for being on the podcast. I, I know this new record is going to be a huge blessing to a lot of folks. Well, I I hope so. And I really appreciate your time as well. It's good to talk to you.
check out christianmusicblog.com slash session26 for today's show notes and the links to Derek's Twitter, Facebook, etc. Of course, visit derekweb.com. And um, in case there are any folks out there who don't know how to spell his last name, that's two Bs, derekwebb.com. And you can pick up the new album, I Was Wrong, I Am Sorry, and I Love You, Tuesday, September the 3rd, coming out here very soon. Watch out for tour dates soon, as he said. Uh, just be checking out his blog, his site, and everything there, and uh, you'll you'll see all the stuff on there. Tour dates coming up. Uh, I wanted to just quickly highlight, as we wrap things up here, just that whole conversation near the end, beautifully insightful, I thought, just the whole idea of creativity in the whole of your business, applying um, your creativity to every part of your job, and just knowing what season you're in and uh, doing the work in that particular season. So actually, to get you involved, what I want to do is this. I'm going to be um, giving away a copy of his new album, and um, I want to give it to someone who leaves a comment on today's podcast episode. Again, that's christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 26. But what I'd like for you to do is this. Head over there, and if you're an artist, you're a songwriter, um, what season are you in? What uh, particular stage of your creative process are you in? Are you focusing on a new album? Are you writing for an album? Are you recording it? Are you on the road? What are you What are you up to? And what's one thing that you're struggling with during that season? So it's technically two things. What's the season you're in and what are the challenges that you're um, facing in that season? So I would love to hear from you. Leave that comment in the blog post. Again, christianmusicblog.com forward slash session 26. And I'm going to be giving away a copy of his new album. I was wrong. I'm sorry. And I love you. So very excited about that album and I'm going to be listening to it quite a bit. Also, I want to just say this too. I'm going to leave a link to this in the show notes as well. A very interesting article that he wrote on the blog. Um, I believe it's either the Noise Trade blog or maybe just his personal blog. Let me, let me look here. Yep. DerekWebb.tumblr.com. Anyway, it's called Giving It Away, How Free Music Makes More Than Sense. Um, a very interesting, provocative article on music business and the whole um, freemium movement that has been taking place over the last couple of years. Um, in particular, there's one section there where he talks about Spotify. Very, very insightful, very interesting. So I'll leave that link again in the show notes, and uh, you can go check that out. Well, that's it for episode 26. If you have listened up to this point, I want to give you a gift, a gift for listening today. Head over to freemusicgift.com where you can find a couple of gifts and a chance to sign up for our weekly newsletter. And uh, once you sign up for that, you're going to get on an exclusive mailing list just for CMB, CMB subscribers. Um, yeah, and to find out more about that, just simply sign up. Head over to freemusicgift.com. I am so grateful that you're listening. I'm, I'm grateful for you. Thank you for checking out the podcast. We'll see you next week. We'll be back again next Friday on the CMB Podcast. Adios, everybody. Thank you for listening to the CMB Podcast. For more valuable content, including helpful articles and video, visit christianmusicblog.com.